0: call-in radio show. This is episode 53. So every single week, Thursdays at 6 o'clock, I host this radio show. Uh, so if you uh, haven't heard of me before, um, I'm Dr. Cam Zipala. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and clinical professor of psychiatry at UCSF Medical School. I've spent my career working with the top uh, executives and athletes in terms of optimizing their health and performance. Uh, and I do so now in a greater capacity as the CEO of MaximusTribe.com. Uh, see, I saw someone raise their hand. So feel free to uh, join me on stage. Um, I provide health coaching. So if you're working on any New Year's resolutions and you want to talk through it with a professional, I'm happy to help you think through your New Year's resolutions in terms of optimizing your diet, your exercise, your sleep, uh, your focus, and your relationships. So that's the theme of uh, this week's show. Uh, and this show is sponsored by MaximusTribe.com, my company that provides hormone optimization for men. Our company actually provides a very safe and effective way of doubling your testosterone, which we validate through at-home hormone tests, and we provide a prescription uh, medication and pharmaceutical grade supplement uh, that can uh, safely do that, which increases your energy, drive, vitality, uh, and everything that makes men, men, essentially. Um, So check us out at MaximusTribe.com if you're interested in the protocol. And happy to take uh, any and all of your questions uh, here. So feel free to raise your hand on uh, Clubhouse, and I can uh, bring you up on stage. I see we got a couple folks. Hey, Lionel, how's it going? Hey, brother, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good, good. You know, I was just uh,
1: looking into this stuff today. Actually, it's funny you had this room. Perfect timing. Just want to get on and learn more about getting. Hormones
0: restored, for this last run. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, every I think a lot of people are thinking about it, like yourself. Uh, obviously, January first, New Year's, is a good time to reinvest in your health. Uh, you know, what I like to do is provide a lot of um, education. So, what would be helpful to you to give you kind of a rundown on on how testosterone works and the various options? Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Well, why don't we start start with from the beginning? Um, So testosterone, as most people know, is kind of the the master male hormone. Actually, both men and women have testosterone. Obviously, men have much higher levels of testosterone. And testosterone actually breaks down into the body into estrogen, or uh, the most common form of which is estradiol. So men obviously have a much higher testosterone to estradiol ratio. Women have a much higher estradiol to testosterone ratio. That's what kind of makes uh, men and women, they're sort of yin and yang that complement one another. But the important thing is both men and women need both. If men don't have estradiol or estrogen, it actually messes with our libido. And same thing, if women are low in testosterone, messes with their libido. So you need sort of like the Goldilocks zone of healthy balance between both of those hormones. So unfortunately, these days, testosterone levels are very low, uh, in in aggregate in our society, so there's been research studies that show that testosterone levels have actually dropped to fifty percent in the last fifty years, and even sperm count has dropped fifty percent in the last fifty years. And um, there's not one single reason why uh, it's it's a multifactorial problem in the sense that obviously obesity is a big driver of it. The more body fat that you have, the more of an enzyme. that uh, that you contain called aromatase. Aromatase is actually the enzyme that converts testosterone to estradiol. So the more body fat that you have, the more you're converting your precious testosterone as a man into estradiol and that happy balance of that ratio that I was talking about gets out of whack. And so the best thing you can obviously do, first and foremost, to make sure that you're, you're getting optimal testosterone levels is to drop as much excess body fat as you can. When guys get down to their optimal, which is closer to the 15% range, uh, they obviously look better, feel better, and they perform better because they have more testosterone and less estradiol. So that's the first factor. Second factor is actually psychological. Uh, as a clinical psychologist, um, there, there is an association between depression and lower testosterone because uh, depression essentially results in something called sickness behavior. Just like getting covid When you have uh, depression, you obviously don't want to go outside. You're not doing the things that you normally do. You're not going to the gym. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not socializing. You're not engaging in intimacy. All of those things drive sort of testosterone down. So if you have sort of untreated or unregulated mood problems, uh, that's absolutely a critical thing to address. And then third, there's a, there's a, a lot of these endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs in our environment. Unfortunately, a lot of our food and water... Uh, is contaminated and polluted with fertilizers pesticides uh, and these chemicals so especially if you're using a lot of plastics to you know cook your food in uh, a lot of these things leach into essentially our water and our food um, and they disrupt our chemicals because uh, they're our hormones i should say because these chemicals are called xenoestrogens they're basically uh, synthetic estrogens that even come from fire-retardant mattresses, synthetic clothing, the carpets that you rub your bare feet on. All of these have these chemicals that that sort of leach into through our skin. Um, And obviously the stuff that we consume uh, with a heavily processed and packaged food. And that can, especially for men in particular, disrupt our hormones. So uh, I always think it's important to start with the foundation. Like I said, make sure that you're losing excess weight. Uh, try to eat as much unprocessed food as possible. Definitely try not to, you know, I always try to use glass and stainless steel to store food and beverages, try to avoid plastics, plastic water bottles, even aluminum cans, unfortunately, uh, actually are lined with a little plastic liner. Uh, There's actually a YouTube video of someone melting a Coke can, if you're ever curious, and it still uh, doesn't disappear because it has that plastic liner. All of these things disrupt um, our hormones. So that's the first and foremost thing that I would address. Now, in terms of, okay, what can I do if I've taken care of all those lifestyle factors uh, or or is uh, you can start doing health behavior change. So the first thing I always tell people is make sure you're getting your sleep right. So the, the clinical recommendation from the research studies is everyone should be getting seven to nine hours of sleep per night. You've probably heard the old adage, get eight hours of sleep. And the reason for that is studies show that uh, every hour of sleep that you get less than eight hours decreases your testosterone by 10 to 15%. So literally someone who's sleeping, uh, you know, four or five hours a night has probably half the testosterone levels of someone who's sleeping eight hours. So that's the easiest way of uh, increasing your testosterone levels is, is sleeping sufficiently. Uh, if you go and actually join my my Twitter Um, it used to be Dr. Cam RX. It's now Dr. Cam Maximus. I have a whole sleep thread that has sleep optimization tips that you can use to fix your sleep, particularly if you have sort of like a low grade non-clinical insomnia. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do to regulate, but I think the, the long-term goal is to be able to wake up without an alarm clock, uh, to make sure that your body's getting sufficient rest. So we talked about sleep. I talked a little bit about trying to cutting, cutting down on the um, processed and plastic aspects of our, um, our diet. And in addition, obviously physical activity is critical. Unfortunately, we're a very sedentary society these days. People are sitting on their ass most of the days. Um, it is really important to try to get at least 7,500 steps a day. And if you're a guy, you should really, and, and a girl, uh, you should try to be doing at least three days of strength training, some sort of muscle building exercise, which helps uh, improve your health and hormone function. So those are what I call sort of the foundational health behaviors, diet, exercise, sleep. And then the last one that that I talk about in particular is focus. Because if you don't have focus, then you don't have the time or the energy to fix your diet, exercise, and sleep. So I actually promote a practice called dopamine fasting, which is not anti-technology. It doesn't mean you need to never use social media. Obviously, we're using Clubhouse, Twitter. We're on YouTube Live right now and on Discord. Social media can be very um, helpful and educational, hopefully we're trying to make it so, but it can also be a giant waste of time. And so you have to be very selective. It's just like you don't put garbage food in your body, then why put garbage content into your mind? Be very selective about the people that you follow and you listen to on social media. I generally recommend people don't consume more than 30 to 60 minutes of social media content per day and try to fast just like you do with food for the rest of the time, meaning consume it when it's it's helpful and educational to you but you shouldn't be scrolling especially um, on social media all day because it definitely ruins uh, your focus and your then your ability to actually prioritize um, all these other things in fact there was a study that had college students they randomized them to two groups one group kept on using Facebook as usual um, and then the other group abstained from using it for I believe two weeks and they actually found that they were using it on average like 13 hours a week it's pretty remarkable um, uh, for, uh, I think 13 hours over those two weeks, which is about two hours of Facebook a day. When they stopped using it, they naturally found they obviously had time to start cooking and doing all these other things that they said they didn't have time to do. So obviously when you improve your focus and naturally em- frees up your time to do the things that you know you need to be doing in terms of taking care of yourself and in terms of your health. So one of the great things that we provide as part of our company, we actually do this for completely for free is if you're interested in working on some of this stuff, please join our Discord. We have a community of men. It's at discord.maximustribe.com. That's discord.maximustribe.com. And there's various channels there. Like for instance, we talk about testosterone, we talk about nutrition, talk about relationships, professional development, all that good stuff. But there's a channel in particular called Coaching. And if you're interested in getting coaching, we actually provide it for free. I, I participate in it on daily. What you'll see in there is a group of guys who have set their health behavior goals. So for instance, like I said, if your goal is to get at least seven hours of sleep a night, they will actually check in every single day and be like, did I hit my goal or did I not? And if I didn't, why? what got in the way? What am I going to do differently tonight? Uh, and you know, if people hit it, we obviously provide a lot of praise and encouragement and support because obviously it feels good when you have people at your back. And if something's getting in the way, we try to problem solve you know, work with that person, help support and help them overcome it. There's a lot of research that shows that when you try to set goals and you do it publicly, you do it in a group with a group of hopefully people you consider your brothers, uh, it's much more likely to work because you have that social support, you have that accountability. In fact, that's why like people who do kind of group fitness classes tend to stay longer than people who do solo workouts unless you're pretty motivated on your own. So that's a free service that we provide and then we also provide that as part of our protocol. If you're interested in going above and beyond just the health behavior stuff and kind of going above and beyond your genetic limits, there are obviously sort of, um, you know, pharmaceutical options that you can take. Unfortunately, there's a bunch of over-the-counter herbal supplements that don't do anything. They're unfortunately snake oil, in my opinion, because there's no strong evidence, essentially, that any of them increase testosterone in any way that's clinically meaningful. And my definition of that is it should increase your testosterone levels by about 50% for it to be a meaningful difference that you can actually feel. And basically all the supplements that I've ever seen always fall short of that um, or don't even have any lab tests to prove it. On the other hand, there is something called testosterone replacement therapy. You may have heard of TRT. That's sort of the acronym for it. That's generally injectable testosterone. It's a pain in the ass because that's generally where you inject it. And it does work, but the problem with it is when you inject testosterone from outside of your body, it shuts your testicles down. And the reason for that is because your testes, where the word testosterone comes from, are kind of the factory or the engine of your testosterone. When they see that there's enough testosterone floating around, they're like, well, I can take take a vacation and I don't need to be there. And so as a result, your testicles shrink and you become infertile. Uh, So essentially, TRT is a male contraceptive. Most people don't realize that. Unfortunately, uh, one of our advisors, Jim Hotling, if you're interested, we had him on our podcast and he mentioned that like somewhere around 20% of his patients come to him when they're trying to conceive with their wife and then they're not able to have a kid and then he asks them, you know, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm on TRT and then he's like, well, of course you're not able (laughs) to conceive because it's a male contraceptive. Didn't your doctor tell you that? And unfortunately, there's a bunch of these TRT clinics out there that don't really educate people in terms of the side effects. So basically, if you're under the age of 50, uh, according to Dr. Hotling, you really shouldn't be on TRT. And obviously anyone at any age who wants to maintain their fertility should not be on TRT because it's quite frankly a contraceptive. So I generally think young, healthy men should not be on TRT. In fact, the only men who should be on TRT are ones that essentially have a testicular injury. If your testicles literally don't work because of an injury or uh, issue, medical issue that you have, then sure, you're like a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic, whose pancreas doesn't work, and you need to inject insulin, which is a, another hormone. But really, that doesn't apply to most men. The, who, the, most men don't have what is called primary hypogonadism, meaning their testicles don't produce testosterone. What most men have is what's called secondary hypogonadism, meaning the, sort of the connection between their brain and their testes has kind of faded or become a little weak. Uh, Because of obesity, because of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals, because of the host of variety of other factors that get in the way. And so as a result of that, we've come up with a much more safe treatment that uses essentially an estrogen blocker. So if you remember, right at the beginning of the show, I talked about how testosterone converts into estrogen or estradiol. What we do is we actually prescribe a prescription drug. It blocks estrogen. And when that happens, the body's like, oh, I need more estrogen, so I'm going to produce more testosterone. And so it almost tricks, it's kind of like a biohack, it tricks your body into producing more of its own natural testosterone that's produced naturally within the testes. And as a result of that, it's very easy to take, it's an oral medication, it's prescribed by a doctor, um, and it can safely boost your testosterone levels while maintaining your testicular size, it maintains fertility, in fact it probably increases fertility because it's originally a fertility drug that's prescribed for both men and women. Um, and it's very, very effective. So clinical trials that use uh, this drug, it's actually called um, show increases about 1.5 to 2.5x. So you can say like the average person essentially doubles their testosterone levels on Inclomiphene. The second thing that we do, if, you're, if you actually subscribe to the full protocol, is we provide people with a pharmaceutical-grade um, hormonal vitamin supplement. And so um, one of the things that we interestingly found as part of our clinical trials was that most men are actually deficient in these really critical fat-soluble vitamins. So you may have heard of vitamins A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. These are all what are called fat-soluble vitamins, meaning that they are are absorbed uh, better when you consume them with fat and they tend to accumulate essentially over time. As opposed to like, let's say the B vitamins, which are water-soluble, and you know, if you take too much of them, you can kind of just pee them out while the fat soluble ones essentially accumulate. Now, obviously we, we tend to get these like vitamin D for instance, from the sun and from food, but almost everyone these days is deficient in vitamin D. So um, for instance, in our clinical trial, we found that 66% of people in LA, which is very sunny, were actually deficient in vitamin D and 100% of people were actually below the optimal zone. And so as part of that uh, supplement, we provide people with high dosages of vitamin A, D, E, and K, and we provide the best forms possible. There are better forms. If you're really interested in deep diving into this topic, we just launched our podcast today with Dr. Barry Tan. He's the world's foremost expert in vitamin E. And I spent like an hour having a conversation with him about uh, why tocotrienols are superior to tocopherols, which is the most of the vitamin D that's on the market. He's actually the one who discovered tocotrienols um, and a novel compound called GG or uh, which is part of vitamin K and which we know uh, and, and clinical studies have shown vitamin K is critical for testosterone production. So we take care of all of that by combining all of these into a pharmaceutical grade supplement. It ships along with the prescription medication. And then what we do that's pretty unique is we actually lab test it. So you don't need to take my word for it. We prove it by at-home hormone test kits that are done by independent labs so you basically test your levels right before you start taking the medication and the supplement and then we retest you after 30 days and so you can see essentially your before and after and if you need any adjustment some people need a little bit more medication some people need a little less the doctor can adjust and personalize your dosage and then you can just take another lab test again to see where you end up at and so that's why, you know, we have a lot of confidence in what we do when we say, you know, don't trust us. We, we, we have lab testing and we prove essentially what we do works. If it doesn't work, you know, we'll give you your, your money back in terms of the subscription portion of the fee. So most people find that generally within 30 days, that's uh, uh, the first test that we do. They'll see the testosterone levels uh, get up. And most people are kind of dialed in, if you will, within 90 days uh, in terms of, you know, finding the right dosage and getting to the right level that's optimal for them. Um, So that's what we provide as a company and the reason that I stand behind it and literally take it myself is because it's a very, very safe option. So the clinical trials that were done with the original pharmaceutical drug um, essentially showed that the adverse effects or what are called side effects were no different than placebo. Only one to 3% of people got them. These are very common side effects like headache or dizziness. Um, And they actually were the same as anyone who just got a sugar pill. So as a result of that, um, you know, it's a very uh, relatively safe compound compared to other prescription medications. Obviously, all medications have side effects, but these are pretty minimal um, and they discontinue whenever you stop sort of taking it. Fortunately, because it's so safe, most people essentially can take this medication daily and they can take it long term uh, if they're continuing to get benefit without any problem. Um, If you stop taking it, you won't have any problems. There's no dependence. There's no tolerance. There's no addiction issues. Um, You just go back down to your normal, whatever levels you started at, essentially. But most people find, obviously, if their levels are higher and they're feeling better, they'll want to take it, obviously, indefinitely. Um, So that's kind of uh, Maximus in a nutshell. And hopefully that was a helpful rundown in terms of uh, different ways, both behaviorally and pharmaceutically, that you can optimize your testosterone levels. Was that helpful? Any questions there, Lionel? Awesome. Hopefully that was. Uh, I think you're muted for the time being. Um, if there's other folks that have questions you want to raise your hand and uh, ask questions on Clubhouse, please let me know. Otherwise, uh, I think we have uh, a couple questions from last week that I can get to and answer today. Hi, Lisa. you got a question. All right. In the meantime, um, I'm gonna. Uh, you want to ask ask this question, Victor, from last week, in terms of artificial sweeteners. I yeah, had a question last week uh, via Discord. I'm thinking of giving up all artificial sweeteners. feel like I could be uh, taking them and they're messing with my body
1: in general. Any advice on artificial sweeteners?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, one of the things that we always talk about in psychology is the concept of harm reduction, right? So, you know, there's different models um, when it comes to dealing with addictive substances. And quite frankly, sugar is absolutely an addictive substance. In fact, a colleague of mine at UCSF Medical School, Dr. Robert Lustig, talks about how essentially sugar is addictive. uh, And it stimulates um, areas in our brain that are light up very similarly to recreational addictive drugs. Um, Especially when we were talking about refined sort of white sugar. Uh, and so as a result of that, I think, you know, it, it doesn't have like withdrawal symptoms like, uh, you know, um, an addictive drug, but certainly in terms of the cravings that we have, I think all of us can probably relate to the fact that we crave sugar chocolate uh, to varying degrees, but for some people, those cravings are pretty strong. And so, um, you know, uh, sugar and sweeteners are uh, often the things that trip people up when it comes to maintaining a healthy diet, a healthy level of body fat, et cetera. And so it's very hard to abstain altogether, just as for most people, it's actually very hard to abstain, especially socially, from all alcohol and using that as a comparative um, you know, addictive substance. So what I think works for um, a lot of people is this concept of harm reduction. It's obviously probably not realistic for most people to avoid all sugar or all sweeteners Altogether, because I don't know, probably makes food pretty bland, or you can't enjoy some dessert or indulgences every once in a while. The goal then is to just minimize the amount of harm or negative impact, and that oftentimes is much more sustainable for most people. So the question to me, as a healthcare professional, is, well, what's worse? Um, so uh, this question often comes up in the context of soda, right? Because that's the thing that people are often the most common, you know, source of. Uh, external or sort of added sugars, I should say. Now, if you're asking, for instance, is it better to drink Coke versus diet Coke, my personal opinion is uh, I actually do think it can be helpful to use diet-based beverages that use artificial sweeteners um, because there's a very clear impact in terms of your blood sugar levels. Like a can of Coke has a ton of sugar, something, uh, you know, probably on the order of like 40 to 60 grams um, in a 12-ounce uh, Coca-Cola, if I'm remembering, or maybe a larger plastic bottle is what I'm thinking of. But that absolutely will spike your blood sugar levels. And obviously, if you're continually doing that on a regular basis, increase your predisposition to developing diabetes, which is what I worked on, in fact, in my first company, where at Omada, we would help people cut down on excess added sugars, unprocessed, or, or highly processed carbohydrates, etc. So it's a better substitute to, in my opinion, have Diet Coke and artificial sweeteners because it's going to not spike your blood sugar levels and increase your risk of diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Now, is there a concern around, you know, the potential carcinogenicness of artificial sweeteners? And yes, the, the difference though is that the literature is unclear. We don't know if aspartame and these artificial sugars cause cancer. It's a possibility or adverse effects, but it is absolutely clear that sugar... Uh, increases uh, excess sugar in particular, added sugars, or refined sugars, uh, especially in the dosages that are seen in, in soft drinks, uh, increases the risk of diabetes. So to me, from a harm reduction perspective, what's worse, like a clear connection to diabetes or a possible ring, link to long-term cancer? Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, certainly if you look at comparing both of them in terms of if your goal is to lose weight, taking... Uh, diet beverages, diet sodas better than full sugar sodas. Uh, I think that's actually absolutely clear in the research literature. And then in terms of long-term health, look, the best thing is to not consume artificial sugars at all. I always tell people, you know, uh, first of all, don't drink your calories. The best thing to, to drink is non-caloric beverages. That means uh, water, tea, coffee, um, or in, uh, potentially diet beverages or these zero-calorie sort of diet beverages. You shouldn't be consuming your calories through liquid means, essentially, because it's just very easy to overdo or overdrink, essentially, your calories. So that's the best recommendation. I think most nutritionists would would generally agree with that sort of adage. So look, if you can avoid all artificial sweeteners, that's the best case scenario, You know, because I don't think we really understand or know enough about them to say that they're absolutely safe. But look, if you're gonna use anyway, and I think you have to be realistic with people, it's like telling people to abstain from sex. I don't think that's a very effective message. You got to teach people how to have, you know, at least safe sex. I think it's the same thing. You got to teach people how to uh, eat safely as well. And so I'd rather have people have artificial sweeteners uh, in terms of beverages um, than consume full sugar soda. Now, here's the good news, and I'll leave people, though. There are better sweeteners that are coming on the market that are less, um, you know, unknown, I would say, than some of the, you know, acetylsulfame K aspartame and these sort of synthetic sweeteners. There are more natural so sort of, quote unquote sweeteners that are coming on the market. You may have heard of some of these. One is stevia. There's actually a stevia based soft drink. Um, I think it's called Zevia or something, beverage that some people like a lot. Another one is monk fruit, um, which is also a plant based uh, sweetener. It's extracted from a Chinese fruit called monk fruit. Um, and there's one that I'm particularly a fan of called allulose. You're seeing it more and more actually in consumer companies, um, are using it. It's naturally occurs in plants like wheat and berries. Um, and it, that one's the closest tasting to sugar. It's about 70% as sweet as sugar. And so if you're looking for a sugar alternative that you are using, for instance, if you're baking brownies or you're, I don't know, you just want to sweeten your tea or coffee, I recommend allulose there are some com- companies that actually have very cleverly like i said it's only 70% as sweet as sh- normal like grain sugar so there's some companies that have added just a little bit of monk fruit to this allulose that lets it become one to one in terms of uh, their proportions and so that way if you're trying to like follow a baking recipe and make brownies you can use you know if it says 1 cup of sugar you can use 1 cup of this allulose/monk fruit mix you can find this on amazon if you just search for allulose and monk fruit, um, and in my opinion, it's the best sort of sugar replacement that's on the market today. So that's what I would generally recommend. All right, I see we have some more folks in the audience. Uh, Michael or Zay, do you have any questions? Yeah, I do. I do.
1: I uh, came This is a pretty much a loaded question I'm going to ask. Um, so, 37. Um, you know, dealing with things like anxiety. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm having some, uh, you know, fluctuation and. Um, uh, what is this, the stress hormone?
0: Uh, cortisol? Uh, yeah, 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 cortisol, because I'm, like, more energetic at night. Daytime is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, A1C checks out good all the time, right? Great. Um,
1: testosterone is kind of low, you know, uh, uh, free testosterone is low as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on TRT, you know, the, the uh, doc I'm seeing hasn't given me any sort of, uh, um, uh, Aromatase inhibitor to go along with it. However, mm-hmm. I'm currently tapering uh, uh, tapering off of Klonopin which my main position had put me on. And right. what I hear, it you know lowers luteinizing hormone. So I'm, I'm trying to get back to like a better balanced you know kind of state. You right. know, and, and, and as far as diet, I'm, I'm gone strictly paleo, nothing but vegetables, water, meat. Right. You know, lifting heavy, running, jogging, everything else. Three hundred pounds of five eleven. The weight doesn't drop off. <laughs> you know, right. So might there be any sort of recommendations you could possibly give me? Sure, yeah.
0: Well, just, you know, I, I can't give direct medical advice, so obviously work with your physicians and, and your care providers, but I can kind of speak high level in terms of, um, you know, some of the things that you're talking about. So, you know, first, uh, you know, like I'm a psychologist and psychiatry professor by training, so, you know, I, I'm, and I actually have a specialty in treating anxiety disorders. So first and foremost, I, I really think it's important to kind of manage your anxiety in a successful way, because once you get that under control, I think you know it frees up your uh, your mind and your you know your your ability to take care of the rest of your health. Well, you know when anxiety is really crippling to people, it's just so hard to get anything done um, and really take care of yourself. And you know I really believe, and you know I, we helped at Omada like five hundred thousand people lose five million pounds. That for most people you know overeating is really emotional in nature right like most guys stress eat and most women emotional eat right we eat our feelings um and that's that's how that's how it's like the f- favorite way of Americans to cope with stuff um so you know finding a way to get that under control i think is really critical clonopin in particular is a benzodiazepine it's a it's a a very effective anti anxiety medication so obviously you got to you got to work with your doctor to you know figure out the type you know titrating. Um, and you mentioned you're titrating off of that. It's really tricky because um, you know benzos. Uh, yeah, you can't suddenly discontinue them, right? Like people can have serious problems um, if not seizures if they discontinue too rapidly. And unfortunately, they are very habit forming um, because they do work really well to numb anxiety. Um, unfortunately, you know uh, they're they're not really like great long term solutions that's why generally when i work with the psychiatry residents that i train benzos aren't prescribed very often to be honest they're they're oftenly prescribed a little bit more for like short-term use someone's like i don't know i need to knock out when i go on a plane but they're not really taking it daily because of the habit forming nature of it so it's up to you and your provider obviously i'm not providing a you know medication recommendation here it's not not in my purview but I don't generally like the class, the benzodiazepine class, because of the addiction issues and the habit forming nature of it. So the question is, of course, well, what what do you do if you're not using clonopin? Um, that's where I really think it's important to to, to use sort of alternative um, you know, strategies. Uh, I am a I literally teach and practice ACT. Um, it's called acceptance and commitment therapy. It's a it's a mindfulness and values-based approach to dealing with any sort of uh, difficult sort of, you know, feelings. Um, but it's particularly, I actually find it to be particularly good, um, for, uh, anxiety, all kinds of anxiety. Um, if you're interested, um, you know, I actually do think it's very helpful to find a really good psychologist or, or licensed mental health professional that can teach you coping mechanisms to deal with, you know, your anxiety and stress. Cause you know, quite frankly, we all need it. And unfortunately guys don't pursue therapy. And um, I, I don't know. There's not a lot of good therapists out there, and for good reason. Um, in the meantime, if it's hard to find, because God knows it is, especially during COVID, um, there are some really good workbooks that can at least like get you, you know, into the philosophy of ACT. Um, there's one you can buy it on Amazon. It's called the Mindfulness and Acceptance Workbook for Anxiety. Uh, I think it's like 18 bucks. You can, or I think it's even 13 if you buy the Kindle version of it um but it's a workbook what i like about it is it's not just like a book you read it's supposed to like you sit there you work through your issues you kind of like do the exercises it's supposed to be sort of interactive and you know it teaches sort of the principles um uh for uh act so yeah any any book that's uh act and, and sort of geared towards anxiety um i think there's another workbook called act with anxiety and acceptance and commitment therapy workbook to get you unstuck from anxiety and enrich your life that one actually came out this this year. It was uh, written by a psychologist named Richard Sears. Uh, both of those are actually really great work, workbooks. And I think it's like long-term, it's the better solution in general for most people. I don't think most people really want to be on medications or uh, for anxiety. Now, listen, like in reality, look, you got to do what you got to do to get by in life. I'm not anti-medication. I obviously trained psychiatrists. But I always think it's a better first-line approach to use therapeutic and behavioral techniques deal with anxiety rather than the medication. So that's the first and foremost recommendation that I would say is is really like focus on this year, try to get your anxiety under control um, and learn better and healthier ways of obviously managing it um, other than obviously being reliant on, you know, benzodiazepines. Now, this is going to take time, right? Because A, if you're trying to come off your clonopin, it's going to take time to just very slowly come off of that in order to not overwhelm you know your system but also it takes time to obviously learn if you're if you're going to get into act or any sort of therapeutic approach you know it generally takes i would say eight to twelve weeks for people to learn and implement those techniques into their life so that's the that's the number one recommendation i have for you number two is as the weight comes off which is obviously as you pointed out not easy your hormones will often take care of themselves especially at the weight that you described 300 plus pounds you just have a lot of excess body fat and a lot of, of aromatase, right? Um, so you mentioned not being prescribed an aromatase inhibitor while on TRT. You know, that's something I would just discuss with your doctor. Um, you know, uh, have you tested your estradiol levels and on, on your le- recent lab tests? Uh, most recently, no. By, about a year ago, uh, the estrogen was pretty high. I, the estradiol was like, you know, kind of high. Um, but yeah. Yeah. You just want to, that's, that's a kind of a test and approach kind of thing. Um, uh, test and, and see how it, how it's sort of going if you're on, um, you know, TRT, the, the challenge, one of the tricky things about TRT for the folks who are on it though, is unfortunately for some people, while it does increase their testosterone, obviously it can also exacerbate their anxiety. If their if their testosterone either goes too high or their, their estradiol levels aren't sort of dialed in. Estradiol is one of those things, it's like a Goldilocks zone. You, like I said at the beginning, you don't want it to be too low, you don't want it to be too high. And so when it is, it can often really mess with guys' moods. And so your, your case is just a little bit complicated because you got like this metabolic issues in terms of the, the weight, you got kind of psych issues in terms of the anxiety, uh, and then there's these endocrine issues in terms of your hormones. And really, you need to take care of all three of them Because all three of them essentially take, you know, influence one another. So, um, you know, I would work with your provider and to just like maybe it'd be worth sort of testing, I would say, your estradiol levels, see where they're at currently, um, and then see if you can get them under control. Obviously, long term, you wanna get rid of the body fat, but that's gonna take, you know, one to two years for you to really get to where you need to be. In the meantime, you know, if your estradiol levels are making your mood wonky, then sure, like maybe uh, a prescription uh, aromatase inhibitor or dialing back your TRT dose are the two common approaches in general that you know a physician might consider. Now, it's obviously up to you and the physician in terms of um, you know what the option is there for you to do. Now, um, I don't know if you heard the earlier segment about what we do, which is different than TRT. We have folks who used to be on TRT and want to come off of it because they don't want to be dependent on it or it's just quite frankly not working for them. Um, use our approach. We use an estrogen blocker actually, so it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Uh, it, it prevents sort of your estradiol levels from uh, you know binding your estradiol from binding to the receptor, and so it it doesn't cause any side effects like gyna like TRT can cause gynecomastia, gynecomastia, uh, which is the development of male breast tissue, right? Um, with uh, what we use which is an estrogen blocker because it's blocking estrogen uh, it doesn't really matter what your estradiol levels are they're just floating around in your blood but it can't bind to the receptor it's like a lock uh, in which the key doesn't kind of go inside so to speak that's kind of the metaphor that I use um, in that case uh, it stimulates your own natural testosterone production um, but it doesn't have as much of the sort of high estrogenic issues because it's an estrogen blocker so, um, it actually tends to ironically work better for obese men. In fact, there was a clinical trial that compared en which is the medication that we use, to topical TRTs. So they were using a, uh, you know, like a cream or gel-based form. I don't, I don't know if you're using that or a injectable form, but in obese men, it actually performed uh, better and uh, in, in terms of increasing their, Testosterone levels. So that's a hypothesis. I obviously can't promise uh, that that to be um, in your case, but if that's an option that you're interested in exploring, you know, check out our website. It's at MaximusTribe.com. Um, we're in 13 U.S. states right now, so we're we're serving about 40% of the country. I don't know if we're at where you are at, uh, but something to consider. Obviously, you know, do your research, consult with your doctor. Uh, but it is a viable alternative, and I do find it's particularly helpful for folks to. Uh, yeah, have, have a lot of estradiol. Um, and it can be very helpful for them in, in terms of killing two birds with one stone. Check it out. Thanks. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, I see Zay uh, in the audience as well. Do you have any questions? Hi, doctor. Thank
1: you for everything. And I, I got two questions actually. Mm-hmm. In your opening speech, you were talking about hormones and you specifically talked about testosterone. So, um, as as far as I know, it is something that works in men's body. So, um, does it have to do anything with women, like girls and stuff? And um, I I didn't actually get that part. So as far as I know, uh, this is this is a, a hormone. This is a hormone for men. And my main question, which is the second one, is that I'm in my twenties and my sleeping schedule routine is terrible. Actually, I, I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. Uh right now in my country is 6 a.m. I'm I'm still awake and I probably I'm going to go to bed in one hour. Yeah. And I sleep all day and I, I am awake at night. So I'm a situation that I need to study for um, many, many hours in a day. Right. Uh, and all day I, I am asleep. When I wake up, I also feel tired. I feel very sleepy. I'm not energetic. Um, actually, I am struggling with... Um, um, an amount of anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. but I guess it's more than that. My body feels tired every day. Right. I actually don't have any energy. I need to be in bed all all the day. And the fact is, I I I actually think I need to sleep for more than ten hours. Maybe. Like mm-hmm. if somebody doesn't wake me up, um, I may sleep for I don't know twelve hours sometimes. So, uh, I, I, I am hopeful to hear any recommendations of you to, I don't know, get any vitamins or whatever to fix my sleeping schedule and have more energy during the day.
0: What, what country are you located in? I'm from Iran. Oh, awesome. Do you have access to healthcare, access to doctors there in terms of…
1: Of course, I'm I'm taking therapy sessions and, uh, you know, I am using some pills for my anxiety and depression. Yeah. They are kind of effective in my sleeping schedule, but not that much. Like my, my therapist said that they shouldn't be that much effective. And I guess it's, it's a kind of habit, like a life habit right. that um, in this two years that universities are closed and stuff and everything are online. I, I didn't uh, I didn't sleep um, like soon at night. Right. I, I didn't wake up soon in the morning. So it's it's a kind of like a schedule and habit. Yeah. I tried so much to like change it, but I think my body is so used to
0: it. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll adjust your your first question quickly, but I, I think the much more interesting conversation is around the sort of sleeping problem that you've developed. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, you might have missed. Um, both men and women actually have testosterone, and it's naturally produced in your bodies, um, just as. Uh, uh men actually need estrogen as well uh, in terms of balancing their testosterone levels just as men uh, women need testosterone as well uh testosterone in women is important for their energy and their libido as well um unfortunately sometimes um, when women use hormonal birth control it can affect their testosterone levels and so unfortunately most people don't really measure it i think if you are doing any sort of hormonal birth control or therapy um, it's useful to at least measure your testosterone levels as a woman and just make sure that they're adequate if you are having symptoms uh, and you don't really know what they are. It's it's one potential cause. Uh, it doesn't mean it always causes it, but uh, it's something to investigate, I would say. Um, and in fact, uh, in you know Western countries, um, topical testosterone is sometimes even used in women in very low dosages, obviously much more than in men for um uh, women who are having libido issues. So it can stimulate, you know, sexual drive. Um, so that, that's, that's the answer to your question. The sleep stuff is, is I think the, the much more pertinent issue in terms of, you know, your life. Um, so a couple things, first of all, what you're describing tends to sound like hypersomnia. Well, and while I'm not diagnosing you generally speaking, if someone's sleeping, uh, you know, more than nine, nine hours on average per night, it's excessive. There's no, there's no really like need for it. That's why, interestingly, studies show that um, while generally like sleeping more is better, there is an upper limit um, in the sense that people who sleep 9-10 hours plus a night actually have worse health outcomes and they die sooner. And the reason for that is because it's probably confounded by the fact that hypersomnia or excessive sleep is essentially a side effect um, or a symptom of clinical depression. Now you mentioned um, in your dialogue that you, you, know, you have sort of problems with depression and anxiety. I would say it sounds like to me from what you're describing, you have sleep problems that are probably perpetuated for two main reasons. One is if, you're, if your depression is not really fully uh, treated, um, it may be essentially a symptom of your depression in terms of having the hypersomnia. So it's really great that you're in therapy. It sounds like you're also on medications for it. I'm not sure they're kind of doing enough if you're continuing to sort of have these sleep problems the other part of it is it sounds like there's some behavioral or lifestyle factors that you're doing that are perpetuating or continuing your insomnia right and this is actually typically very classic in terms of what we see in terms of people who develop chronic insomnia acute insomnia is not uncommon right a lot of us will go through a stressful situation in our lives we'll have a breakup We'll get stressed about COVID. We'll lose a job or a scholarship or whatever it is. And then, you know, we stay up uh, late and we don't sleep. That'll happen for a few days, maybe even a few weeks, but we tend to get over it and we go back. What ends up happening though is it sounds like a lot like what you're describing in the sense that once we develop insomnia, we start to develop bad habits, right? We start, for instance, you know, sleeping at weird times. We're going to bed really late because obviously we can't go to sleep. But that also means we start getting up really late, and when we start getting up really late, we change our whole routine during the day. Uh, you might start napping during the day, or it sounds like what you said—you're sleeping all throughout the day. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, right. and so now you're, you're, you've disrupted essentially your circadian rhythm, um, in which you're almost like nocturnal, right? You're sleeping during the day, you're up during the night, and now your whole sort of your whole rhythm and biological clock. Is essentially disrupted, and so you know above and beyond the depression that may have uh, started that, now you have these behavioral per- factors that are perpetuating or continuing it. So what I think would be really helpful to work with your um, therapist on is is um, uh, figuring out a very stable um, and regular sleep and you know work schedule. Now, obviously, I'm very sensitive to the fact that you're a student. I know you have to study and take care of things. But, you know, it's one of these things where if, if you're willing to take a little bit of a short-term hit, in the long-term, it's going to be way better for your sleep and in terms of your health. So the best things that you can do in terms of like fixing some of what's called your sleep hygiene is to really try to establish a regular, you know, as best you can, bedtime and wake-up time that you stick with. Now, you may find, obviously, when you start doing this, you can't fall asleep at night. You have insomnia. I totally understand. But let's say, for instance, you know, you say, I'm going to try to get into bed at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. I'm going to get out of bed at 6 a.m. no matter what. Now, obviously, you may be sort of tossing and turning throughout the night. Generally, what we recommend with, with uh, people who have insomnia is a principle called stimulus control. Stimulus control means you want to not ruin the association between your bed and sleep. The, the bed should only be for sleep and not for, and, and being relaxed and being sleepy not for tossing and turning, not for stressing, not for using your 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 telephone or anything that's sort of stimulating too much. And so, generally I recommend with with folks, like if you can't fall asleep within 15 to 20 minutes of getting into bed, get out of bed. Go sit in a chair in your bedroom or ideally go sit in your living room and go do something calm. Don't do don't have bright lights in your eyes. Read or listen to music or an audiobook. And don't go back to sleep until you are tired. Now, that may take a few minutes. That may take a few hours. But you got to do what you got to do in order to not be tossing and turning in bed. So let's say you go to bed at 10. You're not able to fall asleep. Uh, You get out of bed after 15 to 20 minutes. You go read for a few hours. Now it's, let's say, midnight or 1 o'clock. Maybe you go to sleep for a few hours. Maybe you sleep from, let's say, 1 to 6. Now, you only got five hours of sleep. That's obviously not sufficient. You're going to be tired during the day. Now, you can take a short nap. I generally recommend people take no more than a 20 to 45 minute nap. And you generally want to take it no later than I would say 3, 4 p.m. during the day. Because if you take it too late in the day or you take a nap that's too long, It's going to disrupt your ability to fall asleep later at night. So you have to resist as best you can the the temptation or the urge to sleep during the day because it's going to mess, like I said, with your circadian rhythm. And so now here's the good news. You're going to wake up sleep deprived. You have only gotten five hours of sleep, as I mentioned, from sleeping from one to six. Your likelihood to fall asleep now at 10 o'clock, the second night that you attempt this, is going to be higher because you're obviously going to be sleepier. You're going to allow yourself to fall asleep. Now this time maybe you'll fall asleep for a few hours you'll wake up in the middle of the night you won't be able to fall back asleep again repeat the sleep hygiene stimulus control get out of bed if you don't fall back asleep within 15 to 20 minutes only go back to sleep until you're tired it may take a few days if not a few weeks for you to really start fixing your sleep Uh, but the good news is if you really push yourself and you're consistent about it and you do this under the supervision of your therapist your, your circadian rhythm will start to get back into a normal time. Because the more consistent you are about going to sleep at the same time and waking up at the same time, your body will essentially entrain itself to that rhythm and you'll go back to normal. The, the other thing that you can do is it's really important for you to get bright sunshine during the day. I actually recommend people get 10 minutes of sunshine in their eyeballs when they wake up in the morning. You get out of bed as soon as possible. Don't snooze. Don't roll around in bed. Don't check your phone. Get out of bed. And as soon as you can, try to get outside, get bright light in your eyes because that helps set your circadian rhythm and it's going to help fix this sort of nocturnal sort of pattern of behavior that you've gotten where you've become sort of a daytime sleeper but you're up at night. And generally throughout the day, try to get as much sunshine as you can. Obviously, don't get a sunburn, don't burn your skin, etc. But sunlight is very, very helpful for regulating you know your your sleep so one tip that is commonly said try to get 10 minutes in the morning if you can try to watch the sunset as well um, and that kind of helps uh, entrain your circadian rhythm so I think um, doing that along with your therapist is gonna uh, go a long way in sort of fixing this sort of disrupted circadian rhythm and sleep pattern that you've developed um, and like I said it's probably going to make it worse before it gets better. But if you're prepared to address this, I'm very actually optimistic and confident that you can um, over the course of, you know, a couple weeks. Uh, thank you. The, the, the fact
1: is, actually, I tried I tried to fix my sleeping schedule for a while, but I tried so much to pull up an outlighter for a lot of nights. So I, I could fix it for, like, a night. I, I, I went to bed at, like, 10 p.m. I woke up at 7 a.m., Uh The the fact was that I still felt very, very down during the day. Yep. Like I still felt that I I need more sleep. Yeah, so this
0: is the part where I think it's actually, you got to like not, this is, I know it's strange to say, but it's important to, you can't really listen to your body when you have sort of hypersomnia and depression, right? You're going to feel tired um, and your body's going to want to be asleep even though it doesn't need it, right? Like I said, you don't need more than seven to nine hours of sleep even though your body may crave it, right? but like I said, it's not because there's a need for physiological restoration. It's probably just doing that because it's a sickness behavior, essentially, that's a syndrome of your depression. So this is the part where it's like, even though you're dragging, uh, your body doesn't need it. So if you've, if you've slept from 10 to 7 and you're still tired during the day, you have to resist the urge to take a nap and get extra sleep because it doesn't help you, right? Like I said, once you're getting seven, eight hours of sleep, no more than nine, I don't even think most people need nine hours of sleep unless they're engaging a lot of physical activity. Most people are quite frankly fine with seven to eight hours of sleep. You need to limit yourself actually to that amount of sleep and uh, not sleep anymore, because here's the thing, it's not helping. In fact, I would actually argue the hypersomnia is hurting. I know it feels nice to sleep more, but the reality is people who sleep 10, 12 hours at a time they actually feel more tired during the day because they've slept half the day. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a counterintuitive thing, but more is not better. So if you have to use a little bit of natural stimulants in order to be more alert during the day, um, obviously you can have some chai and you, know, you have a little bit of healthy caffeine. Um, interestingly, Iranian researchers have published a lot of research on saffron and saffron extract as a natural sort of antidepressant. In fact, it performs as well as SSRIs in some studies, you know, obviously talk to your therapist and or your physician about that as an option. But, you know, the Iranians actually pioneered that work. Um, And I think it's a very safe, actually, I think it's safer than most SSRIs, uh, mood alleviating uh, herb. Um, And it actually, there's some research that actually shows that saffron actually improves sleep as well. I think in your particular case, it's not going to be a panacea, meaning it's not going to cure your sleep issues, I think what's going to help your sleep issues, honestly, is just making sure your depression is well treated, that you're following sort of this sleep hygiene and stimulus control protocol that I laid out, and that you're resisting the urge to, um, you know, essentially sleep too much. Uh, because like I said, it's, it's actually harming instead of hurting, uh, helping uh, yourself. And so you, you got to just kind of like break that bad habit, essentially, that you've developed over time. Thank you so much for all the advices. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, make sure you work with, um, you know, like I said, you're I think it's fantastic that you have a therapist. Um, if you hopefully, you know, um, if if that's not sufficient, work with a good doctor, um, there's some really obviously great uh, physicians in, in Iran that can help. Um, but like I said, I think this is ultimately gonna be behavioral for you. Um, and you know, hopefully they'll they'll provide good sort of guidance and supervision. Um, but yeah, take what I say in the sense that like, even if the behavioral part didn't cause your insomnia, it's probably perpetuating or continuing it. And I know it's really, really hard, especially when you got work to do and you have a lot of studying to do to fix this in the middle of all this. But you have to, like I said, take the short-term loss in terms of it's gonna make you more tired and more sleepy in the short-term. But I promise, I promise, I promise that in the long-term, you're gonna feel better once you, you know, become, uh, you know, a more normal, have it, get a more normal sleep schedule. All right, folks. Uh, it is seven o'clock. A lot of good questions uh, that were asked. Um, I'm sorry if I didn't get to all of your questions. Um, you can rejoin us. We have this radio show every single week, Thursdays at six o'clock, uh, six to seven p.m. Pacific time. Um, in the meantime, feel free to join our community. It's at discord.maximustribe.com. If you have any questions, you can actually type them in, and I'll answer them there. Um, and otherwise, we save the questions and then we answer them for next week's show. Thanks everyone who joined us on uh, Twitter Spaces. Thanks everyone who joined us on Clubhouse, uh, YouTube. Uh, I didn't get to answer all your YouTube questions, but I'll answer those next week. Um, And our lawyer listeners uh, and our community on Discord as well. Thanks everyone. Have a wonderful uh, Thursday and the rest of your week. Hope you stay healthy, happy, and high performing. Take care.